Good afternoon and welcome to Mastering Medical Device Security, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Medigate. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to some audience participation. Uh, send your questions or comments in at any time in the Q&A box, and we will take them later in the program. Uh, and we'll be putting out a little poll, a one-question poll later in the program, get you to respond, and we'll have our panelists guess on the results, see who wins. Uh, nice way to view the screen today. Uh, top center should uh, get it into side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider in the middle to get the slides and the video boxes the size you like. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our panel featuring Stephen Dunkel, Chief Information Security Officer with Geisinger Health System. Brian Strood, VP and CIO at Faith Regional Health Services, and Jonathan Langer, co-founder and CEO at Medigate. So let's jump right into what I think is going to be a very interesting conversation. Steve, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role there? Sure. Uh, first off, welcome, everyone. Uh, again, I'm Steve Dunkel. I work for Geisinger, which is located in central Pennsylvania, Danville, Pennsylvania specifically. Uh, Geisinger has uh, 12 hospitals at the current time. Uh, we have uh, roughly 2,500 uh, licensed inpatient beds, hundreds of clinics. We have a health information exchange. Uh, we have a health plan. Uh, we also have a research division and a school of medicine. And uh, with a level one trauma center, we also have uh, life flight group with, uh, I believe we have nine helicopters at this time. So it is a fully integrated system. Very good, thanks, Steve. Brian? Good morning, thanks, thanks Anthony. Brian Sterud, um, VP Chief Information Officer at Faith Regional Health Services, located in Norfolk, Nebraska. So that's in um, Northeast Nebraska. Um, Organization covers quite a quite a geography uh, just due to to the rural nature of, of how we're set up here. Um, we have one hospital. Uh, we have a couple of affiliate hospitals, um, so a little bit different size than uh, than Stephen. Um, uh, own physician practice uh, that's with locations scattered around Northeast Nebraska as well. Um, some things that we do that 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 others may maybe don't in a in the size community of ours is we have a heart program, we have a cancer program. Um, and so we do, we do some things that others uh, our size don't do. Um, and like I said, we cover quite a, quite a, a geography in terms of where our service area is. Very good. Thank you, Jonathan. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining. I'm Jonathan. I'm the CEO of Medigates. A, what we do is at Medigate, we're a healthcare security company. And we're also involved in clinical asset optimization. We're about 100 people in the company at this point, working only with HDOs. So we've had some experience over the last couple of years with regard to medical device security, which we're going to talk about today. And looking forward to the discussion. Very good. All right, first question, Brian, we're going to start with you. Oftentimes, visibility is referred to as the first step in a solid security program. 
Would you agree? And what's the biggest challenge in obtaining visibility in a healthcare environment? Yeah, I think some of this has changed over the years. Um, certainly visibility is, is a huge step in understanding and, and being able to demonstrate that uh, the importance of that and gain buy-in from the organization. Um, I, would, I would agree um, for the most part. And biggest challenge, I think that challenge has, has dramatically changed over the years. I think um, with the number of incidents that we've seen in, I'll say, the last four or five years or so, it's really demonstrated um, a need from, from board of directors, uh, upper management, and an and a understanding. And it's kind of obtained that visibility on our own in many ways. So uh, I find that, that this problem is much easier than it, than it would have been four or five years ago. Um, but I do agree. And, and I think right now it's about translating that challenge. So translating that visibility into um, having the conversation with the organization about risk, about um, how their dollars are invested and what the return is, or, um, you know, that, that, that type of conversation is probably the biggest challenge now once that visibility has been, been gained. Stephen? Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I, I, it's not only medical devices, obviously, I think cybersecurity in general, uh, visibility. One of the experiments I tried a couple years ago that fortunately has worked out is I actually brought someone onto the team that has a very strong communications background and in, uh, in marketing. And at the time, I, we wondered if this was really a good move. But that has worked very well because, uh, as you said, with mar uh, medical device, with all the threats are, that are coming and uh, the expansion of those type of devices and IoT, having someone out there working closely with our communications department, uh, almost daily communicating on this and, and talking with people has been extremely beneficial. So, Stephen, they're, they're educated. This is about getting the word out so people behave properly with devices and take proper security steps and precautions. This is uh, helping to educate and convince. So rather than just communicating to marketing, you brought someone into your team who deals with that and I probably I assume also works with the marketing department, but it's like embedded in your group, correct? Correct. That's interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Um, go ahead. I was just saying, I, I, it's actually worked better than I expected. It's the first time in my career I've done something like that, but uh, it's, it's proven itself quite well. Very interesting. Jonathan? Sure. I think to me, with regard to the changes that we've been seeing in healthcare over the last five years or so in this industry, I guess to, to Stephen's point is that there are more and more devices that are beginning to be connected to the network. Uh, there's IoT devices, whether it's uh, medical devices that are now uh, more connected than they used to be uh, significantly, enterprise IoT, clinical devices, and so on. To me, the, the diversity of the devices that are now being connected and also uh, just the sheer multitude of devices that are being connected is creating a new problem. And to Brian's point, I do think that this is certainly a problem that uh, the board of directors 
and this, the major stakeholders within the enterprise should be aware of because something has changed in terms of connectivity over the last couple of years. So I would, I would definitely agree with that. What about uh, the idea that uh, Brian expressed, which is that it's easier to gain visibility today? I assume you mean, Brian, because of some of the tools that are available. Why don't you uh, go into that a little more, Brian, why it's easier today? Uh, I maybe I maybe have to fess up. I thought you were talking about generally speaking and building security awareness within your organization. So that's the that was the context of them in which I was answering uh, that question in terms of um, the importance of security in general as a program versus um, visibility to to devices. Okay, so you think in general it's easier today where people are more understanding of why security is important. And it's much, much easier to sell security right now than it was, uh, you know, right. years ago. Right, right. People get it now. All right, very good. Um, next question, Jonathan, let's start with you. How can hospitals determine the risk level of individual assets and how is the clinical impact of each device taken into account? Uh, so that's uh, an interesting point. One thing that I've seen uh, over the last couple of years is that risk in, in HDOs is measured differently. Uh, unfortunately, there isn't one standard that I've seen out there that uh, in terms of the actual detail of how you articulate risk uh, that is out there for everyone. So I, I will open up and say that I think it's okay for everyone to customize uh, uh, in their own way just because the way that they see the risk for their enterprise is, is different. Uh, and that makes, uh, that makes sense to me. And, and to me, I think that's the reality. In terms of the guidelines as to how to, uh, how to look at risk, the way that I would look at this, uh, just leaning on uh, the common frameworks that are used by professionals out there, is basically a, a, a combination of a probability and impact. That's the way to look at it. When I look at probability uh, of occurrence in, in an HDO, I think we, we need to look at the inherent vulnerabilities of the devices. We need to, and at the same time, we also need to look at compensating controls. That's, that's what would weigh out the probability in my eyes. And then in impact, I think there's a really big challenge here because when it comes to those medical devices, for the most part, how do you measure the clinical impact of a device? How do you measure the importance of that and how it can affect the patient safety? How can it affect patient privacy? Uh, how can it affect a uh, potential revenue for the organization, uh, for the enterprise as a whole? So that's the tricky one uh, that I think a lot of folks are having trouble with. And uh, it's really about knowing what the device is doing and what its identity is in order to be able to arti articulate the risk or the, I'd say, the, the clinical impact of that specific asset. What about reputation, Jonathan? Is that another metric that you try and figure out the the possible impact absolutely i mean one of the one of the discussions uh, uh, that i've had with a uh, with hdos in the past is how do you factor in reputation as part of the overall financial risk uh, that mm. can, because some devices are i'd say are more uh, prone to getting that sort of negative attention um than than others may have and it is a discussion that has come up and it's, it's not easy to do so. And that's why I always say that I think every HDO does things a little bit differently and, and, and that's okay in my eyes, um, but it has come up. Absolutely. Steven, your thoughts? 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. I I guess at least relative to our journey, one of the first things is getting our hands around the actual inventory of assets. Um, it's kind of hard to do a real risk assessment in my mind for an effective one if you don't understand what you've got, and that's that's an ongoing challenge for us. Um, so that's definitely a component of it. The other part is originally in starting the journey specific to medical devices, uh, the general concentration in the organization seemed to be on information. And personally, I'm probably equally, if not more concerned about the integrity of the device. Uh, and helping the organization understand the part of security isn't just, hey, we're going to lose PHI with this. What actually happens to your reputation standpoint if somebody gets in and changes this thing unauthorized and it hurts a patient? Uh, so we definitely add that as a definite weight in it. The other thing I might comment is in this journey, we were looking at medical devices and we quickly discovered there's there's more risk than just medical devices when you get into this non-traditional space. For example, sewage treatment systems. Most of them are under some sort of a process control environment, elevators. And so as we started to lift up the rock, uh, overall risk assessment and the whole inventory piece I mentioned uh, has definitely made it a much bigger exercise than we anticipated. Stephen, you talked about how important it is and how difficult it can be to even get an inventory of what you have. Um, and I would imagine it's made even more difficult by the fact that things are always being purchased. Things are always being sunset. So let's say you were able to stop time and get your inventory. That's not how it works. And that would be hard enough. So part of this is, getting the purchasing under control and getting that streamlined to where everything comes up, it hits IT and especially hits you. And so you, th that way you could keep an inventory, not just get an inventory, you can keep it. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, the whole onboarding process and the aspect in my mind, what you're talking about, it fits into the supply chain security aspect. Uh, we do assess our vendors, sometimes to the point they get a little frustrated with us but it's with all good intent. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. If it comes into the door bad to begin with, uh, you're already yeah. behind, uh, behind the curve. I don't know this, Jonathan, what's your thoughts on that? It's, it's a really interesting point where I think uh, in the past, I'd say, or in some organizations, it, you would see supply chain and security disjointed to a certain extent. So what would happen, and I, and I have seen this, is that it's the, the security folks would have to deal with the, the security repercussions of buying an insecure device after the fact, which is always much tougher, right? Because it's already on your network and now, now, you're, now you're dealing with, a, with, with some trouble. And one of the things that, just in terms of governance, which I think is a really good practical step, and Stephen, it sounds like that's the way that you folks are doing it, is assessing the risk of the, the device that's going to come into the network ahead of time. 
so that the security considerations are taking into, taken into account during the procurement phase. And in fact, I think that they should be weighed in as part of the scoring of that specific vendor. Of course, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, the clinical care capabilities outweighs uh, the, the security. I, I, I can understand that and I can respect that, but at least security has a place. And getting supply chain and security uh, to have that uh, process buttoned up, I think that's, uh, in terms of enterprise security maturity, is, is a really important step. Certainly, Jonathan, makes, I, oh, go ahead, Stephen. I was just going to say it certainly makes partnership with the vendors or the manufacturers. Uh, you know, from our standpoint, we've the ones that are easy to work with and really care about security, those are the folks we want to deal with. Exactly, could not agree and more. St Stephen and Jonathan, um, I would imagine that if, if you're trying to deal with security after the fact, if it got in the door because of the procedures weren't there to make sure you looked at it beforehand. You've also lost some leverage in terms of getting the vendor to do certain things before the purchase. You know, you have the, the procurement process, you have a lot more influence than afterwards. Is that correct, Stephen? Definitely, definitely. Very good point. I wanted to, Anthony, I wanted to share a, a quick story on that. So we, we put into place because of some of the, this exact issue where you end up with something on your network and you're dealing with it after the fact. And we, and um, as many uh, experienced number of, of challenges and, and, and frankly, frustration related to that. And so we put into place some mechanisms where, um, you know, almost anything has to get, have sign off. And, <clears throat> and so I always, I would joke even, you know, I had our plant services, um, uh, director come to me and I, we, I have to sign off on anything over a certain um, dollar value. And, and he came to me with carpet one day and I kind of laughed. I said, well, is this going to be network connected? And it was kind of our joke. Um, and, but the next time, not that long after that, I had uh, our nursing home. We have, we have a nursing home as well. Um, our nursing home administrator bring to me a bathtub and I jokingly said, Hey, is this going to be network connected? And they said, no, it's not. However, there is a model that we did consider that would have been connected so that we could monitor the temperature and adjust the temperature if needed. So it's gone. I, it's funny, but not funny because it's gone from a, what was a, what I thought was a fairly innocent joke to now I'm kind of asking, you know, when you, when you bring anything to me, you know, that's a great story. Yep. You never know these days, right? So every, everything should at least get a look. Right. Very good. All right, next question. Uh, Brian, we'll start with you here. With the acceleration of digitization in healthcare, common devices, the BYOD devices, being used by clinicians and employees could house PHI or information used for medical purposes. How are hospitals addressing that? Yeah, for, for us, if, it's, um, if it has anything to do with, um, with patient care, and we're, we're an Epic customer, so if they're going to use um, functions of Epic on a, on a device, we require that it's um, managed by our mobile device management tool. And, and that's, how, that's how we address it to make sure that it is, uh, is secured properly and that it's, um, that it's walled off properly. Uh, anyone that would want to do that, um, we, 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 simply, we simply don't allow them to without our mobile device management tool. Stephen, is this, is this a 
difficult issue or is this kind of solved in your mind that, that there's ways to deal with the BYOD? It's never solved. <laughs> 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 uh, it, it, it's an ongoing exercise. I think we're doing, we're doing good at it. Could we do better? Definitely. Uh, but as Brian said, just putting the discipline around it as much as we can, looking at things like mobile access management, mobile device management, containerization, all the techie stuff. Uh, but also, obviously, it's in the hands of the uh, person that has the mobile device. So there's a lot of training there. Uh, again, I, I see this as probably uh, something that's going to be going on for probably at least five years, the whole mobile device, uh, telemedicine, you know, it all fits in together, cloud. So it's gonna be a moving target. Uh, fortunately, a lot of the mobile device manufacturers are starting to put some controls, uh, some of which can fortunately be integrated with uh, our organization controls. Uh, but yeah, uh, BYOD, I, I actually am for it, but I'm for it in a, uh, obviously in a properly controlled environment. So long-winded answer. But. Stephen, I'm gonna ask you an, a slightly different question here. Um, what do you think is the key to having, uh, you're gonna laugh, I know you're gonna laugh, uh, to having the right personality to be a CISO? You, because I would imagine the kind of person that gets, to, gets into security likes to have their I's dotted, the T's crossed, like specificity, things to be clean, buttoned up, neat. But it sounds like the job requires being comfortable with a lot of, not chaos, but a lot of things that you're still trying to get your arms around. Things are never done. You never get everything Ziploc done clean. It's always messy. Um, so what, what kind of personality do you need to be able to be comfortable with that? Resilience. I, I believe that's the biggest in our field. I see a lot of my my peers uh, and, and myself included. Uh, you get in this game, you got to understand if you want to be a CISO, you, as I put it, you have to be able to take it on the chin, not just once, not just twice, constant, and just stay in there and do what's right for the organization. Stand by your principles, but also pick your battles. But to me, it's very much uh, take the job. There's a lot comes with it, and you better just be ready to, to manage it and deal with it. And that includes finding time uh, to literally let it go. You have to do that. Is it the kind of thing where probably every every CISO you spoke to would say, I don't have enough budget or I need more budget? Yeah. And, and it's hmm. going, I, I think if you look at the numbers, uh, you know, when you talk to consultants at Gartner and Forrester and others, and, and just talking with my peers, I think all of us, based on what I'm hearing, you know, the budgets are, are going the wrong direction in comparison to threats, but it's just the reality. I mean, the pandemic and everything, uh, we've got to do what's right for the organization so they can survive and, 
and help our patients. So, um, Jonathan, let's go to you on that. Uh, a couple of things. So, number one, if you want to comment on what we were discussing about the the resilience, Stephen was saying resilience is the number one thing. Um, and then he also mentioned the budget's going in the wrong direction, which I know we were going to touch on later, but let's touch on it now. Um, greater security threats, less money to deal with them because of the COVID impact. So uh, you want to take those one at a time, that'd be great. Sure. So I'm sure resilience, <laughs> Stephen, is, is saying that for a reason. Uh, I'm sure there's some, uh, some history and experience there. Uh, I, I would certainly agree. Um, maybe outside of resilience, one day, one characteristic that I certainly appreciate with the with security professionals, uh, of course, resilience, uh, but also uh, being good listeners and understanding the needs of the business. Um, I think with all the technological changes that are happening and uh, the craziness around uh, COVID, which has accelerated some of the digitalization, and I think telehealth is a, is a good example of that. And we, we talked about that a little bit in this conversation, just understanding, listening to what the clinicians and to what the, uh, the, the, the staff needs and what the patients needs, I think that's, uh, that's key. So I um, definitely agree with that. Um, and then uh, with regard to budgets, I think that uh, obviously with the impact of, uh, of COVID on, on the economy, unfortunately, uh, I think this is the decreasing budgets or at least being more mindful of budgets is something that we're all going to have to deal with in the, in this industry and in other industries, but certainly in healthcare, which has been impacted, of course, and is on the front lines, literally. Um, to me, what that means, or one of the, one of the considerations that, that, that I would recommend is really being able to articulate clear ROI with new tools that I'm bringing in as a, as a CISO or as a, as a security professional in the organization. Real hard ROI, which is, which, isn't, which is a challenge for any vendor, and myself included, but I think it's possible to leverage technology for that. And the reason also why I would mention CISOs in this regard is that more often than not, what I'm seeing is that the security folks are what I like? I would call uh, technological trailblazers uh, within the organization, uh, and I think they have kind of a, a second role outside of security, if that wasn't enough. Uh, also, to bring in new technologies that can benefit the entire enterprise, uh, bringing them to other groups and other stakeholders that can also benefit from that and being able to bring everyone together to really show ROI that would benefit the, in this day and age, the enterprise as a whole. So that would be my comment on that. Brian, do you have a CISO or do you function in that capacity? I actually function in that capacity as well at our, at our organization. So what, what would you say would be the, the salient qualities of someone who's gonna head up security in a healthcare system? Well, I think um, I think they've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think it's about. Um, I'll, I'll I'll I guess I'll say two things: partnership and and um, and risk tolerance. So, um, part you know, if you cannot have um, productive conversations and partner with the with your clinical teammates and your financial teammates, um, it's hard to be it's hard to get anywhere. So, 
there has to be that. And I think Stephen probably, you know, alluded to that a little bit in terms of the pick your battles. If it's, uh, if it's dealt with the rigidity and a, and a very strict um, sort of black and white, um, that might be the right thing to do, but you're going to be a failure in, in my opinion. Um, there has to be the ability to have, to talk about some gray areas and to be able to work together to accomplish things. Um, risk tolerance, I think, goes along with that same thing. You know, if again, um, I think sometimes I'll, I'll encounter people that are um, very um, forthright with what they think needs to be done. And, and again, they, they may be right, but that means that they're eliminating all risk. And if your goal is to eliminate all mm -hmm. risk, um, there again, you're gonna, you're not gonna succeed. Um, I have a friend of mine that I started, kind of came up through the ranks with, um, was uh, administering our firewall at the at the place we were we were at. This is, you know, probably I don't know, almost 20 years ago. And uh, somebody said they really wanted to make sure our internet was secure. We were a financial services company at the time, and he said that's great. I'm just gonna go unplug this one cable from the WAN side of this firewall. And he was joking, but again, if you want to remove all risk, that's the only way to do it. But but nobody can function in a, in a no risk environment because you also aren't gaining any rewards either. So it's the ability to work with the the, the organization and understand where where are the risks appropriate, where can we accept the risks, and we're okay with that. Where do we put in mitigating uh, you know compensating controls, and and those sorts of things. So that's great stuff. Uh, I wrote, you know, I've got three things down here as, as to make me think of uh, if you don't have these things, you're going to top out in your uh, security career. You're not going to reach that level of being an executive. You may be able to do certain things, uh, but you shouldn't interact with other people, so to speak. So it's the uh, the partnership that, that Brian mentioned. It's the risk tolerance. If you can't take that, if you need everything buttoned up and clean, and you have to unplug the cable, you're not going to get very high. Um, the other thing I wrote down is a, um, a desire and enjoyment of continuing education, right? I mean, if you're going to be a CISO, you have to be interested to the point that you attend webinars, you're reading reports, because this stuff will pass you by in a heartbeat, I would imagine. So all good stuff, very good. All right, next question, Steve, we're going to start with you. Oftentimes, Patching of remediation or remediation of vulnerabilities is not an option. How can hospitals address risk mitigation through other measures, such as zero trust, network-centric policy enforcement, et cetera? So educate me real quick. Why is sometimes patching or remediation of vulnerabilities not an option? Well, I've always taken the stand, and I think most people do, that service wins. And so security gives way to that. And so if you're, if there is a technical constraint or a high dollar requirement for patching a system, uh, risk management has to come into play. What's the business benefit of that system versus a weight against the risk of it? Uh, and going back to our earlier conversation, you got to pick your battles sometimes. You have to work with the, within the business to find the right balance. And I've always said that, you know, accepting of risk is part of business. It's, it's what we're mm -hmm. trained with right out of the university. Uh, 
it's in my mind that part of that though is understanding the risk. The other part is the acceptance or tolerance of it is made in the right jurisdiction. Uh, so if it's very high level, very high risk, you probably want your senior executives uh, aware of that in signing off, so to speak. Uh, but then from a uh, compensating and, and mitigating control perspective, there are some things you can do. And that's part of what I view as risk management is what can we do? Can we put it behind a firewall? Uh, as you said, uh, with some of the new technologies coming out with, uh, with SD-WANs and things like that, how can we isolate that problem child, so to speak, uh, so we can we can keep the business running and still do a reasonable job of protecting the organization. Stephen, would you say that it is not <coughs> excuse me, it is not the CISO's job to decide what level of risk the organization wishes to accept? It is your job to explain the risk and to let the business owners decide? Yeah. I think, you know, usually I get asked to make a vote. Uh but I agree with you with your comment 100%. Our role is to advise. Our role is to help people understand both what the situation is and how it could go wrong, and if it did, to what degree. But the actual tolerance of risk, uh, no, that's, that's not our role, in my mind. Um, Jonathan, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think uh, risk management is the is the key word here, and the reality is is for, because of financial purposes or, or service purposes, you're not gonna always be able to patch the devices that that you need to patch. Uh, the The problem is even uh, is even worse when it comes to medical devices because sometimes there is no patch. The manufacturer of the medical device is hasn't issued a patch yet because they're, they're validating going through the process that it won't affect patient safety and the overall stability of the device. So you may be waiting for a long time. And even afterwards, maybe it's not your first priority. So to me, risk management is definitely a key to this process. The good news in my eyes, speaking of, uh, let's call it, new or my modern uh, technological capabilities is that even in lieu of a patch, uh, there, is, there are other uh, compensating controls, uh, whether it's with a firewall, with, a, with an axe solution, et cetera, uh, that you can actually use to segment the device, uh, kind of going to clinical zero trust or segmentation of some sort so that you can uh, isolate the, the problem child, uh, I'll use uh, Stephen's words, um, to, to mitigate some of the risk, even if a patch has not been delivered there. So the, the, the advice that, that I could uh, uh, provide or suggest is that always look at this in a combined strategy in terms of what am I going to remediate in terms of patching? And then what am I, how am I going to mitigate risk uh, where I wasn't able to deliver a patch and uh, a get the vulnerability out of my system uh, entirely. And then this is always a moving target because new vulnerabilities are coming out every day. So it's gonna be a process more than a one-time thing. Brian, thoughts? Yeah, a lot of them similar to what, to what these gentlemen have already stated. Um, you know, I think 
you know, we just went through a very, um, a very in-depth process and actually aren't quite complete with this um, in terms of assessing the level of risk, assessing why the risk is high, depending on the device, understanding what our options are for each device. So in some cases, it, um, there, there may be, there is an upgrade that's, that's uh, involved that we could actually get accomplished. Um, in some cases, as Jonathan said, it may, there may not even be an upgrade, so there may be no option in that regard. And, and frankly, when, and that, when you're faced with that, um, you're, you're down to the service part of what Stephen talked about is, if there is no patch and it is a high risk, then your only option is to remove it. Um, and in most cases, that's not gonna fly. Um, so we just worked through this process. Um, some of it comes down to in, in the dollar amount. So in some of the cases that we ran into, um, there was a significant dollar amount to, um, to, for the vendor to do what they needed to do. So in those cases, we, um, we use a, a micro segmentation um, technology. So we're um, segmenting the, those devices off and making sure that they can only do what they're supposed to be able to do on our network. And um, we're, we're in the kind of the first stages of that. It's, that's, that's gone really well. So that's, that's one option. Um, and I'll say too, really quick, you know, some of the vendors, you know, they're not, they're not issuing patches. And in one case, the vendor actually, um, what they were charging us for the upgrade was doing nothing more than putting a firewall in front of it. So they actually weren't addressing the vulnerability or removing the vulnerability. They were just selling us a solution that involved firewalling it. And that, at that point, we already had our, uh, the technology that we utilize. So we said, that's fine. We'll do it on our own. So. All right. Very interesting. Okay. I want to get our poll question out there. Have a little fun with this, which we're going to launch now. And our uh, panelists can vote too. So please do so. Medical device vulnerabilities are the number one issue that keeps healthcare IT security professionals up at night. That's their favorite expression up at night, right? When it comes to security professionals, what keeps you up at night? So go ahead and answer that. And then we will look at the results and we'll have our brilliant panelists guess at the results. I want to get one uh, audience question out there first before we look at our poll results. So uh, let's go to, let's go to you first, Brian. How do each, uh, uh, how do you engage your organization's clinical engineers and or biomedical equipment technicians to determine clinical impact these professionals deal with that impact daily. So are there folks that you go to to get that information? How does that work? So uh, change that, and, I, and I, many others have done this as well, but a change that we made that tremendously um, increased our level of success here was biomedical engineering reports to me now. So I think that's something that anybody, um, you know, there was a time where that maybe wasn't a necessity. And I, to, in my opinion, it's a necessity now for anybody um, in, in the, my type of position. And so that allows uh, a lot better communication, uh, allows me uh, to make sure, and, and, and frankly, to support them as well. Um, you know, in the past, sometimes they, they maybe didn't have the opportunity to push back on certain things, depending on, on what they found. So um, I'd say that formal reporting relationship and then the ongoing dialogue, um, one thing that, that in particular that we did was we, we worked through, um, it's kind of our own algorithm on how we assess risk 
relative to devices based on uh, certain characteristics. So um, that was another huge advancement. So it gives us our uh, a risk profile for every single device that we have that they manage. And then based on that, it scores and, and we have uh, risk stratification. And, and, and so then it gives us the opportunity to work through the, the highest risk devices first. Um, and that's, that's proven to be uh, tremendously successful for us. Steve? Uh, I, I think uh, overall, it uh, basically just uh, risk management and um, staying with the uh, you know the discipline to follow it. Okay, very good, Jonathan. Anything you want to add on that about uh, the reporting structures and clinical engineering and biomed and all that? Um, I think in terms of governance structures, there are all sorts of governance structures that at least I've seen in terms of who reports to who and how all of this is done. I think that the most important point, at least that I've seen with organizations that have been successful is creating some sort of dialogue, open channel for dialogue, whether it's a standing meeting or some sort of committee uh, that is able to address this uh, the security issue and the various stakeholders that are there. And once you got communication and people that have a relationship and a partnership, um, then the sky's the limit. Uh, the real big challenge, and this is honestly where I've, I've seen uh, organizations being unsuccessful is where you try to take an initiative and you're doing it in a siloed way where it's just owned by the biomed folks or just the security folks or IT or, or whoever that may be. And then when they reach out uh, to the other side of the organization for help, they don't get that help just because there wasn't communication. Uh, so I would definitely advise against that and go for that committee or line of communication. So, and Anthony, to Jonathan's point um, along these lines, we did. We have formed a steering committee for medical device security. Uh, to, again, to Jonathan's point, and clinical engineering is a very active part of that. And we found them very good in coming to the table with us, as is IT in that also because they support the network that those devices are on. Very good. All right, we're going to look at our poll results. Um, so let's get our panelists to get here, I guess here. So what percentage do you think agree with the statement that medic, uh, medical device vulnerabilities are the number one issue? Um, Jonathan, give me a number. I'm going to go with 40%. 40? Yes. Okay. Brian. I think it's tough because this is a little skewed based on the topic of the conversation. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 60%. 60, Steve. 30%. 30%. All right. Let's share the results. 50%. You got a 50, 50 split. So I guess that's John and Brian. That's a tie, right? <laughs> is it like the price is right where it was the closest without going over or anything? Was it? <laughs> Without going over, so, so that means Jonathan, Jonathan, you win. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. 
That's all I'm right. Well done. So that's, so, so that's a 50-50, and uh, I guess uh, it's close. I wonder if the people who disagreed would probably put it number two, but uh, we won't know that. All right, uh, another audience question, and this is for Brian. How do you handle vendor remote access, such as WebEx, when utilizing micro-segmentation as WebEx has so many, in caps, IP addresses? So um, we we haven't had to deal with that quite yet, to be honest with you. So um, it really hasn't had to be an issue. When we have had things, um, in, in and we're in the beginning part of this venture, when we have had um, a lot of times the vendors on site. Um, so we really haven't had to, to deal with that issue quite yet. Steven, any, any any thoughts on that? Has it come into your world at all? Well, I, uh, nothing against WebEx other than for this particular application. That's not, that's not something I would overly be comfortable with. I understand why there's situations where you might use it, but overall, in our in our environment, we have developed sort of a central gateway for vendors to come in using a commercial tool uh, where they log in with multi-factor and all that. Plus, it records their session if we turn it on. So the, the, it's more of a, if you're going to come into our organization, you come in through the central gateway. Very good. All right. Uh, we're going to go, we've got a couple more minutes left. We're going to go to our Ask a Co-Panelist segment. I want to give Jonathan a chance to ask one or both of his co-panelists a question, something he's dying to know. So I'll ask this, since I saw what you, what you, your thoughts were with regard to the polling question. So my question for Stephen and for Brian is, what does keep you up at night? What would be that number one priority? Brian? Yeah, so the reason I was thinking about this um, when I saw what the question was, and I thought it may be skewed high based on the topic, but I'll, I'll, I'll just say, generally speaking, end user behavior is my, is that's what keeps me up at night the most. Um, you can put all the controls in that you want, you can do all the things um, technologically that you want to do. And ultimately, um, your, your, your biggest risk is your, is your employees. So we try to spend a lot of time on, um, building, you know, security awareness and, um, and we do internal phishing as many do. Um, and, but we, we, we try to spend a lot of time on education of end users and, um, promoting, uh, promoting those users, bringing things forward to us when they, when there's something that doesn't feel right. So that's the one, that's the one that keeps me up at night more than the medical device security. Steven? Actually, for me, it's, it's enabling the business. And what I mean by that is there are so many things going on in the organization nowadays with innovation and lean and things like that. How do you implement security controls effectively with all these moving parts and still help the business meet their objectives? And it's a double-edged sword. The fun in our field is creativity and being able to, you know, come up with great ideas for enablement. Uh, but in today's world, and I'm sure all my peers share it, the workload's phenomenal. Uh, and the understanding, how can I enable this key business objective without disrupting usability? That's a really good, really good one. Very good points on both ends. So, 
I think, um, Ron, uh, Jonathan, I'm going to give you an opportunity for sort of a last word here before before we get going. So um, any advice you want to give on, obviously, the topic today was medical device security. So any any final words of wisdom to the IT executives on the line today that are obviously grappling with this issue uh, and maybe don't feel like they totally are in a good place you know, even considering risk, we all know, we said, it's not going to be perfect. You're never going to, it's like herding cats, right? Okay. We get comfortable with that, but what do you want to say to the folks that are just not comfortable with their control of the herd, so to speak? Sure. So as a, as a technology vendor myself, I, probably I, I could offer all sorts of uh, technological best practices and tools and so on. Uh, but really, the best advice uh, that I would have, that I would really encourage folks to use, is starting with, uh, with process and governance. And to me, the number one thing about medical device security, since it involves several stakeholders within the enterprise, is going back to our discussion about open lines of communication and getting that steering committee or some sort of body to handle it. That would be uh, the best advice that I would have and it would ensure a, a good security program. Starting with the tech is, is the wrong way to go. They got to start with the process, and that's what I would encourage. Excellent, excellent advice. We appreciate that. That is about all we had time for today. Great, great conversation. I truly enjoyed it. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with our team, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox and you can go to our website to register for our robust schedule of upcoming events. With that, I want to very much thank our panel, Steve Dunkel, Brian Starood, and Jonathan Langer. And I want to thank Medigate for sponsoring and making this conversation possible. And I want to thank you for attending. With that, everybody, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.